Amen. All right. We're going to get back into our Bible study on the effects of the Tower of Babel. Um, I'm not going to take a lot of time to... Last week was kind of a really laying a, a foundation and uh, not a whole lot into uh, the Scripture. We're going to get more into that uh, starting tonight. But the one thing that uh, you know I want to want to do want to refresh is that uh, we talked about last week about uh, the benefits of collaboration, cooperation, and communication. Okay, and how 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 important that is, and works into unity, and how that uh, God uh, works in that way. And we talked about how that um, in the world, in the secular world, they uh, realize that there seems to be a curse on tall buildings. That, and we talked a lot about in, in, in some history of the tall buildings and things that have been built, uh, and and the things that happen. After those buildings were built, financial ruin, these businesses and these companies that were at their peak, but when they began to uh, build those, uh, then, then you can look at the, the track record, look at the statistics and see that things begin to, to come down. So we ended by talking about, uh, you know, the importance of going back chapter 11 in Genesis is the story of the Tower of Battle and how that. Uh, the first ten chapters are important uh, to lead up to that, but uh, specifically chapter ten, we talked about Cain and Abel, and how uh, Cain means the desire to acquire, or uh, a man acquisitiveness, and that Abel means zero in the Hebrew, and you know he died, and there was nothing left of him, and so uh, you know talked about again how that. Uh, if we really want to see in a society or in uh, the world, we want to see what we would call health and wealth, that it's going to take these things uh, coming together uh, for that. And so we kind of left off there uh, in chapter 10. And so now uh, we're going to look at some things that might be hiding uh, in some of the uh, things that we may look at as unnecessary, uh, specifically the gaps that might give us some ideas and some understanding of, uh, of what, what's taking place and what's happening there. So we already know Noah and the Great Flood, right? That was our last study. And how that people uh, weren't collaborating with one another. They weren't cooperating. They weren't communicating. But they were actually using uh, one another. We, we, we see that, uh, you know, they uh, were just not working together. And there was a lot of abuse and a lot of things that were happening there. So now the flood came. The flood has uh, has assuaged, and now Noah and his family exit the ark, and they need a fresh beginning, right? They need a new beginning. Now the earth, uh, God told them, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and bring forth abundance upon the earth and conquer it. We talked about conquering the earth, subduing it, and how that anyone by themselves cannot conquer nature, but when you come together. And you put uh, more people together with the collaborating and cooperating and communicating, then things begin to take place because God gives us all uniqueness, right? We're made in his image. That means God is unique, so we are unique. There are gifts that, and, and abilities and talents that each of us have that when we come together, collaborating, cooperating, communicating, then uh, that's when we begin to see the, the character of God because there's things about God that are unique that only God can do, right? Uh, and so we, we said he's the big C and we're the little C. He's the big creator, but he give us the, uh, amen, the uh, opportunities to create ourselves. So when we come together, and we bring our gifts like the body of Christ. So there's not everybody's a thumb, not everybody's a pinky, not everybody's a knee, not everybody's a head, not everybody's an ear. But when we all come together and put, uh, collaborate and bring our gifts together, then we get uh, uh, things that are going to make a difference and change. And so uh, he told Noah and his family, God said, be fruitful, multiply, uh, subdue the earth, bring forth abundance. It wasn't an option. He said, bring forth abundance and conquer the earth because the earth by itself will beat you up if you try to work selfishly, okay? It will conquer you. 
Uh, God, may us to need one another. You need your neighbor that's sitting beside you tonight. Husbands, you need your wives. Wives, you need your husbands. You need those friends. You need the relationship. You need the things that... Uh, Another, we need each other in the body of Christ, okay? That's the whole purpose. God did not design you to be a loner. And I mean isolate yourself. I'm talking about putting yourself and saying you don't need uh, people or you don't need these uh, uh, these friendships and relationships. God did not create us that way. So uh, when we work together with other people and we cooperate with love, right, anything can happen. Okay, it's got to be in love. That's what, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us. God said, uh, love him and love our neighbor as ourselves." Okay, so when we do that. So now, as we get into Genesis uh, chapter 10, we're going to find the lineage of Noah and his three sons. We talked about his three sons uh, in the other study, Shem, Ham, and, and, and Japheth. Amen. Uh, and those were his three sons. And we get to uh, see that before the Tower of Babel, uh, the Bible gives us a very distinct uh, lineage of Noah and his three sons. And so now we see that they have spread out into the earth. And uh, just before the secrets of this tall building uh, in, in chapter 11, this tower, this uh, uh, first skyscraper, if I can say it like that, that first tower is built, we kind of see, amen, that they have now spread out into the earth, and so they didn't all stay into, the Bible tells us that they didn't stay in one little huddle and one little place, but that they spread out throughout the earth. And so, you know, they began to uh, inhabit different areas of the earth. So uh, we can now see some events that lead up to uh, the Tower of Babel. And we find that Noah's sons now, remember what Noah did with his, uh, with his boys, he built sons, right? He built them, he, he, he taught them. And so now we're seeing uh, Noah's sons, they're building families, they're having children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Uh, and they're now uh, doing what God said for them to do. So they're building and they're uh, being fruitful and they're multiplying and they're uh, abundantly uh, uh, populating the earth. And so uh, now we're getting back to where the earth has got people uh, there, amen, uh, like it was before the flood. And so we're given the genealogy of Shem, Ham, and Yippet. Uh We're given the genealogies, and again, we talked about this before, but the gaps are like, bleh, right? You're like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. you go right past them. You don't even try to read it, especially to read the King James. You're like, what? What is that? Uh, you just kind of zip past them, right? But I'm telling you, I told you before, and I'll say it again. We did it more than one time. God puts those things in there for, to, to let us know something. If we didn't have the genealogy of David, we wouldn't really understand that that's what Jesus came right. from. Right. We wouldn't realize that Rahab the harlot was, uh, was the grandmother of the Messiah. Okay, we, we, we get those things. God, God speaks those things until they're in there. And so... When we, uh, when we see these genealogies, if you can look yourself in Genesis chapter 10, uh, you know, verses 2 through 4, we see uh, uh, Japheth's genealogy. We see the list of Japheth's descendants in Genesis 10, 2 through 4. And then in Genesis uh, 10, 6 through 8, we now see Ham's uh, uh, genealogy or Ham's uh, descendants. But there in between, uh, uh, Japheth and Ham, there's Genesis 10, 5. And if you pull that up, uh, the scripture here, it says, but these were the isles or islands of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. Now, this word tongue in the Hebrew is uh, translated into language. So now we're getting a picture, right, that uh, that Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and, and Japheth, they are now spreading and they're starting to populate the earth. And uh, they're now, by the islands of the Gentiles, they're divided now in their own lands. And everyone after his language, after their families in their nations. So now they're becoming nations. They're becoming actual uh, families in the earth. And so uh, then... Uh, from verses 9 through 19, we see the list continuing of the genealogies of Ham. And then 
uh, after verse 19, we see Genesis 10 and 20. And let us look at that scripture. It said, these are the sons of Ham, again, after their families, after their tongues or their languages, in their countries, and in their nations. So you get a picture now of what's happening in the earth. Now it's not just Noah and his uh, three sons and their wives and his wife and the animals all huddled together living in this village, right? God told them to go. So now they spread out and we're starting to see uh, uh, some things happen. Uh, and so then we see uh, that again, it's according to their families and their languages in their countries and in their nations, okay? Then verse 21 through 29 in chapter 10, we're not going to read all of those, uh, but we see that Shem's descendants are listed, okay? Now we get this extensive list of all of Shem's descendants uh, that are uh, there. And then verse 21 says of them, again, they are all separated according to their families and their languages, okay? So are you getting a picture? Now, uh, that was verse 31. Now let's look at verse 32 and see what it says. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations, and by these were the nations divided into the earth after the flood. Now if you go back, and read all of those scriptures and you start making the connections to all of that genealogy and those descendants that are there, uh, you go back and do that on your own, what you're going to find out that verse 32 here, uh, now we literally have 70 families who have spread out into 70 specialized groups that have now began to uh, populate the earth. So from Noah's three sons, we got 70 families. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting, okay? So keep, keep, that, keep that in mind. God's trying to tell us there. So uh, uh, there's now 70 families that are spread out into 70 specialized groups. It says, according to their families, their languages, and their countries, and their nations. So each group now is developing their own skill. They're developing their own talent. They're developing their own gift. That, uh, that God instructed them to do when they left the ark. Okay, so now you're getting a picture of why we talk about the collaboration, the cooperation, the communication, making us in the image of God, each one having a unique gift. And if you were here for, uh, for the study of the days of Noah, you'll remember uh, that Shem, Ham, and Japheth, uh, they had specific things, right? That um, that they were, uh, and we talked about it last week. So some, so now you've got these three sons who have now divided into seventy different families, uh, also seventy specialized groups who are each taking their skills, their talents, their abilities, their uniqueness that God has given them, and they're putting it into action, and they're causing life, society, culture. They're developing uh, a, the known world or the earth. So uh, some of them were developing iron and metal. Remember, some were making music because some were making musical instruments. Others were growing in their understanding of the agriculture, uh, of cattle and growing things. And so now you see that if, if the one, if the group that specialized in metal and iron gets with the group, that specializes in music, uh, then they're gonna, there's going to be some benefits one to another, right? Because they're going to be able to use some of that gifting and some of that wisdom. And the same with, uh, again, with uh, the agriculture. So now the, uh, those that specialize in iron are going to be making plows. They're going to be making shovels. They're going to be making picks. And this is going to make those who are gifted and unique in the agriculture and growing things, be, it's going to make their life simpler. It's going to make their life easier. Are you seeing the picture there? And, and how that God does that. That's why not everybody's a singer. Not everybody's a worship leader. Not everybody's a preacher. Not everybody's a pastor. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody is an artist. Not, you know, as much as everyone, somebody wants to be gifted in everything. And there are some people that are pretty gifted in a lot of things. But my point being is that God brings us to that. So uh, what do we see from that? They learned the lesson of the flood. The lesson of God. <laughs> Do what God says. 
take what God gives you and, and work together and cause something to happen. And now, because of that, society is beginning to advance. Families begin to build their lives. And so I'm, I'm trying to get you to get a picture of that, that what's happening. We're talking about leading up to the Tower of Babel, leading up to this big, tall building that uh, literally changed everything. And so, uh, but, but, but it's kind of imperative that uh, we pause right there for a minute and that we know that a family is a building block for any kind of successful culture, right? Family is, is the backbone of the church. Family is the backbone of society. Family is the way that, that God made it. And that's the very thing that the enemy has attacked over generation after generation in all these decades. And so in order for a culture to be successful, there must be families. But how many, uh, I, I want us to realize that uh, it can only be a building block and not be the only thing there is, okay? So it can't just be families that makes a culture or a society successful. It is definitely a building block, but it cannot be the final product, right? Because they have to begin to integrate into something else. And so when, uh, when they begin to integrate into something else, uh, we come up with what we call a tribe. Mm -hmm. So now we have, the, you see the 12 tribes of Israel and all of the Levites and all uh, of, of, of the tribe of Sin and all of these uh, tribes that begin to come together. So now we're looking at uh, going beyond the building block of a family. Uh, now that would, the next phase of that would be a tribe. And so, uh, while the family is a major, major improvement uh, over isolated people uh, being alone, right? We, just, we, we reminded you that God didn't call us to be isolated. We can't do all of this without other people. Right. Okay? It just, it just doesn't. What happens to people who isolate themselves? They either go nuts yeah. or they kill themselves. Right. We call them hermits. Hermits are weird. Right? I don't mean that ugly. I'm just saying that's, that's scientific, but it's also spiritual because God did not design them to isolate themselves. And so the family is a major improvement of that, but how many knows that the family isn't enough to just become a tribe because in the similar understanding the tribe even though that's a vast improvement of individual families so now when you begin to put individual families they come together and they make a tribe that's a good improvement of the individual family uh, but the tribe also suffers from fools because tribes are limited okay they're limited even though they defeat isolation and they defeat aloneness and they build up a the family unit, uh, there's still a limited way of defeating isolation and aloneness, okay? Because even today, the social organization uh, of a tribe can still, you can still find it in undeveloped parts of Africa and uh, Asia. You can see that there are still tribes that exist and that live, uh, and that's extended. Mm -hmm. There's nothing... There's nothing developing out of that. Um, it, it doesn't really bring a reliable subduing or conquering of nature uh, so that tribal, whole tribal society doesn't really uh, uh, seem to be that big of a success. You know, no African tribe that I'm aware of has ever invented some kind of machine that saves people from hard labor. Right. You know, uh, no, no, no Asian tribe has ever invented any kind of medicine that has uh, uh, advanced uh, a sickness or that has uh, any kind of medical cure for anything. Why? Because they're limited. Because right. it, they are confined to the tribe. Okay, uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to make a point here, uh, and, and so it really just does not bring a reliable. A solution to what God said to Noah. Be fruitful, multiply. They got that covered. Okay? Right? That's covered. But that's not all he said. He said, bring forth abundance and subdue the earth. So make the earth work for you. Everything that is there in nature, 
Let it be for your benefit. But if you stop at your tribe, because there's only so much that can be done, right? And so uh, it doesn't it doesn't fulfill everything that God said. And so uh, you know, a, a tribe definitely is better than being alone. But it doesn't provide an answer to how people should uh, organize themselves and move into societies and to make life better. Uh, how many knows that God wants us to have abundant living? Mm -hmm. That's what he said. And I believe that's spiritual and natural. I'm not talking about amounts of money. I'm talking about provision. I'm talking about abundance. But that means joy and peace and happiness and enjoying life. It's not a sin to enjoy life. Right. Right. God, God, God created us to enjoy. The problem is, is we're not subduing it. <laughs> we're not doing uh, the way that God has done. So, you know, to, to make life better and ultimately, ultimately make it possible for people to have to devote less time to just basically surviving. What is the goal of a tribe to survive? Because they don't have any outside connection. Are, are, are you understanding that? And so that's how cults become developed. And how, how churches and, and things of that nature can become uh, cult-like. Because they feel like that they're exclusive. Uh -huh. They have the connection to God and Jesus and the answers. And their leader is supreme. And everyone on the outside doesn't know anything. Right. Okay, the enemy has them in that place. It does. It doesn't uh, do that. So that's a real primitive level of of, of, of organization for society. And what does that do? That leaves the door open. That leaves that stage uh, that is open for somebody uh, who will provide a better tomorrow. Who will provide a, a reason and some hope. Okay, but. Now we, in all of this genealogy, and all of this, uh, we, we meet a man in uh, three verses of chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Did I give you guys all those names? Uh, just eight. Can, I can, pull up? Can, you, can you pull up? 8 through 10, I'm sorry. But we meet this man now in these big acts that you probably skipped over. Right? You were probably like, ooh. Right? Take it to a, man, I read that chapter quick. Right? Verse chapter 10 is a lot of that. Listen. And so, uh, but what we need a man in uh, three verses of chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, that just kind of seems to be dropped there in the middle uh, out of nowhere. Okay? And, uh, and, and we see that. And uh, so, uh, as we as we get uh, those, and I apologize. There we go. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akon, and Kalmai, in the land of Shinar. So in these three verses. We're now introduced to this man by the name of Nimrod. And Nimrod now is brought in like in the middle. All that information is just smack dead in and we just, we, just, we just move on. But here's four things that these three verses tell us. First of all, he introduces to a man named Nimrod. We see that uh, in verse 8, which is that first one there, that uh, he began to do something. Uh, he had some kind of revolutionary beginning. There was something about Nimrod that was different from anyone else that was in the earth. That he had this, uh, it said, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. That means no one else was like that. Mm -hmm. Okay? So now we've got something revolutionary that is popping up. Uh, in all of this uh, fruitfulness and multiplying <laughs> and increasing in these gifts and uh, this uniqueness about all these people. And uh, so now uh, it began or he started to be mighty. So he started. So now we see, again, something revolutionary or a, a, he made some kind of revolutionary beginning. Number three, he was a hunter. And number four, his kingdom was in the land of Shinar. 
So those four things that those three verses tell us uh, that we, uh, we're going to look at for a minute uh, about this man named Nimrod. who had done something revolutionary, something that no one else had ever done before. He began something. He began this uh, something that affected the culture and caused him to be mighty in the eyes of all these other people. And he was a hunter, and uh, then again, his kingdom was in Shinar. Now, the name Nimrod in the Hebrew, we told you over and over again, it's like a broken record, I know, but I have to say it every time. Names in Hebrew mean something. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're named that for a reason. It's not just to throw it out because Agatha is a pretty name. Okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> in case somebody's going to say Agatha. Um, <laughs> you get it. So, so uh, they're, they're named for a purpose. Now, Nimrod's name, if I, if I can put it in Hebrew Hillbilly terms, literally means he said get down or I'm going to be above you. So Nimrod's name, it has a Semitic root that means to rebel. So at the root of Nimrod's name is rebellion. Okay? So at the root of Nimrod is rebellion. But stemmed off of that of that root is, I'm going to be above you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying, get down. You don't belong up there. I do. Mm -hmm. Are you following me? Yeah. Okay? That's what, that's what Nimrod's name is telling us. Now, this revolutionary idea, right? That was the second thing. This revolutionary idea began, okay? Or there was a beginning. This is the word halal. In Hebrew, which is spelled Talal. This is the word Halel in Hebrew, when he began, or he had a beginning. This word Halel means to dissolve or to break. So, what this tells us, according to the Hebrew and the word used here, Halel, it, it tells us that that this revolution or this beginning that he had breaks something. It broke something. What did it break? It broke some kind of tradition that everyone up to that point mm -hmm. was a no-brainer and everyone followed it, but here comes this man, Nimrod, mm -hmm. that says, no, I'm higher than you. <laughs> He was mighty. He began to be mighty in their eyes. So here, what it's telling us is that uh, he, he revolted. A revolution is a revolting, in a sense, right? It's, it's revolting against something that was, and you revolutionize or, or bring a revolution. It brings a change. So uh, uh, this, this tells us that some kind of tradition was upheld prior to Nimrod beginning this breaking or this dissolving. So what tradition did Nimrod revolt against? Well, when you study the, the, the history and the ancient Jewish wisdom, again, based on the Hebrew and the language, the established tradition that Nimrod revolted against was of a god that saved his great-grandfather Noah from a flood. So Nimrod now comes in and rebels against the idea that there's one God. Mm. And this God saved his great-grandfather Noah from the great flood. Is that why people say, like, don't be a Nimrod? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. Okay? That's it. That's the, that comes from the Hebrew. Right. Okay, everything comes from the Bible. Okay, all this, all this kind of stuff. So that established tradition that there was a God who saved his great grandfather Noah from the flood. Remember who his remember the descendants that Ham had Cush, Cush had Nimrod. So Ham was Nimrod's grandpa. So Noah was his great grandfather. Cush. 
was Ham's son. Noah was his grandpa. So my point being is that this story, I mean, you were there. I was on the ark. I can tell you what happened. Right. I can tell you exactly what it looked like when the door went up and then when the door came down. I can tell you exactly what my dad did. Come on. I can tell you exactly what happened. He told this to Kush around the fire as they were roasting marshmallows uh -huh. and singing Kumbaya, right? Doing all of that stuff and while he's out there, you know, teaching him, amen, training him and giving him, he's telling him this story. And now Kush is going to be doing the same to Nimrod, right? right? Let me tell you what, you know, you know what my grandpa told me, right? How many, how many family stories do you have, right? But come on now, you survived the great flood. And the God, this God, how did that happen? Because God, right? So everybody had to know that God was central to the understanding of the world. So, so everything that the world was happened after they came off the ark. So who brought them off the ark, right? Who saved them? Who rescued them? It was God. So everything that was of, of the earth, God was central to all of that. Nimrod decides, hmm, mm -hmm. let's, 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 let's think that. Let's try this life without God. Hmm. Go ahead and tell me how that works for you. Right. Right? right? Nimrod's like, okay, I have an idea. Well, if God gave us all of these ideas and these, this ability, then let's try this without him. We don't need God. Okay? So this is the revolutionary beginning. This is what caused him to begin to be mighty in the earth. One of the things, all right? So then it says he was a hunter. Now, we know that God permitted the eating of meat after the flood. When they came off the ark, God said, you can now eat meat. Okay, God permitted them to eat meat after they came off the uh, ark after the flood. So that tells you that a lot of people were hunters, okay? Because that's how you got your meat, right? So you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the fact that oh man he's a hunter, you know? Because a lot of people were probably hunters, especially when you look at, at history. But here's the thing: the pointing out here again in the Hebrew. And, and, and the ancient Jewish wisdom, Noah wasn't, or Noah, Nimrod wasn't hunting animals, he was hunting people. Not with guns and arrows and killing men, okay? He was seducing people mm -hmm. to kind of almost enslave them or to fulfill his nature or character, which was what? To rebel, to say, I'm above you, so that he could fulfill that, that nature represented by his name, Nimrod. Okay? You should start making a, a, a little bit of a connection here. So now he's essentially getting people to follow his vision and elevate him, put him there by their willingness to be below him. Mm -hmm. So in their eyes now, he's becoming this mighty person. He's becoming this mighty revolutionary uh, who is making uh, a change, okay? And then the last thing that I said in that verse was his kingdom was in Shinar. And so here's what you have to understand now based on this in Genesis in the beginning and God giving us that, that anytime we see a Nimrod-type period or era or uh, epoch, whatever you want to call it, Anytime you see that Nimrod-type thing in Bible history, there's also going to be some kind of representation of Shinar, okay? So uh, this, there's going to be, this, is, this is some way of telling us that there is a Nimrod working even though there isn't anyone there by that name, okay? It becomes spiritual, okay? So, so uh, when, you, when you not only... When, so when you see Shinar, when you see that, that in the, 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 the Bible history, 
and you see that there was a Nimrod type uh, of era or period or uh, you know some kind of being in history, there's going to be some kind of representation of Shinar, uh, even though there might not be anyone there by the name of Nimrod. Okay, it's 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 a, it becomes a spiritual thing, and so uh, this now is leading us. Uh, as we got to the, get to the end of Genesis chapter ten, and we're seeing this, and this is important for you to for you to understand, or for you to to kind of put your mind around as we move in now to chapter eleven, and we start looking at uh, the Tower of Babel. Because what what did it say? That the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So. He began this revolutionary idea that, you know what? We don't need God to do this. We don't need God for life to be good. We don't, we don't need the God of Noah and Cush. We don't, we don't, we don't need him. Let, let's try it and see how it works. And so then he gets people to take his vision, and now they're, they're subservient to him. They're, they're, they see themselves as below him, so that no matter what he says or what he does, it's, it's the right thing. We see that today. Right? Guys, again, right back to cults. Because you think, how in the world does somebody get blinded by that? Because it's a spiritual thing. You know? Um, and and so, uh, seeing that uh, his name, Nimrod, the, the thing, the revolutionary ideal or the thing that he did, getting people to be subservient to him, and then uh, in the land of Shinar. So Babel was his beginning, but his kingdom was in the land of Shinar. And again, Shinar uh, tells us... Uh, is always connected, if I can say it like that, to uh, to Nimrod. So now let's look at Genesis chapter eleven and verse one. I did give you that, right? Genesis Sorry. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Wait a minute. How's that possible? When chapter 10 said there were 70 people groups, each with their own language, their own nation, right? But now he says the whole earth was one language and of one speech. But chapter 10 says there's 70 different languages. So how's that possible? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so the word language in or excuse me the word used for language in chapter 10 if you read it if you read it it's the word tongue that is the Hebrew word Lashon you that might have any kind of recollection it's been a lot of years ago we, we taught one time on Lashon Hara, which is gossip. The tongue. Disease of the tongue. It's literally leprosy of the tongue. So gossip spreads leprosy. There's a lot I could go into it. It, it, it leaves. So anyhow, that's not where we're at tonight. So the tongue, in, in chapter 10, it uses the word Lashon and for the word language in, um, in the Hebrew translation. In chapter 11, it uses the word shafar. That means lips. I think it's shafar, I'm sorry. Yep. I didn't think that looked right. So it's shafar. <laughs> So far, I didn't write it. So, when 
it says in chapter 10 that they all have different languages. Okay? About their language. It's the word tongue, which is Lashon. In chapter 11, the word language is, is Sophal, which is the word translated, the word lips. Okay? Why are these two words metaphors for language here? Okay? The Sophal or the lips refers to the to the, the grand or the big language because the lips and it's interesting if you look at the translation and the meaning of the word softball and you go to the root the lips are literally the boundaries to the flow of communication in its totality so these are the boundary okay so uh, uh, lips literally refer to the big language the grand big language the tongue the tongue shapes the nuances or what we, a nuance is just a slight difference in one uh, or another, or what we would call dialect of a major language. So the tongue is the dialect, and the lip, or Lashon, is the dialect, and Safa is the actual language. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. So lips or the softball means the major language. It's like this. Here in the United States, we have the English language. Yes? In England, they speak English, but it's a different dialect. Right. That is what tongue is. Tongue is a dialect. So lips is English. Can I just ask something real quick? Yeah. Um, wasn't it God that scattered the languages? We'll get there. <laughs> You're jumping ahead. Yeah, we'll get there. Right. Because, because, again, you, if you read back, that can be very confusing. I, I, it was, it was. You see what I'm saying? So, so the tongue is the dialect. The lips, or the softball, is the major language, okay? For example... Some states in, in, in America say soda, some say pop. But we all know what we're talking about. Right? If we know that it's soda, I can't help. And I have to tell them, Mike dated a girl one time from Michigan. She was, she was nice to look at. And he started coming home and said, We got any soda. I said, who are you? Right. <laughs> what is soda? <laughs> Pepsi, that's pop, dude. It's not, first of all, it's not soda. <laughs> soda. Yeah. <Right>. So, <laughs> every time I hear soda, I think of that. When I was a kid. Some, when they're talking about driving, they say they're driving on the freeway. I just say freeway. Uh -huh. But it's still the same language. thing. Mm -hmm. right. Same language. Different dialect, but the same language. Now I got you. We all point to this. Are you with me now? I'm with you. So in chapter 10, it spoke of a Lashon. Mm -hmm. They all had different dialects. Gotcha. But they were all speaking the same language. Thank you. Okay? So for our sake, it was just all English, but it was Hebrew. Okay? But... So they were all, when it said that they all, so here now, get the picture. There were 70 different families, 70 different nations or specialized groups. They're all talking the same language, but some say soda, some say pop. You say tomato, I say tomato, right? You say potato, I say potato. You say aunt, I say aunt. Literally, that's, that is the, so they all had their own dialect, but they were all speaking the same language. Okay. Okay? Does that make sense to you? Yes. And it's important that you understand that when you get to that. So it's the same basic language, just a different dialect. And so, you know, in Hebrew, we understand, of course, that then that all 70 nations were able to communicate. Mm -hmm. Right. So they could all visit one another. They could all go to their tribes and they could communicate. It's just when they wanted a, a Pepsi, could I have a soda? Well, we got some pop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right. right? It's like, like we call, we call, you know, if you want cola, you say, give me a Pepsi. Yeah. All we got is Coke. Same thing. You stick there. 
Right, right. Same concept. It's not the same thing. So that's that's what we understand. That that they were all suddenly had different dialects, their specialties and their uniqueness. So that separated them even more so and made them unique. So you know, when you're from the Appalachia, right? You got a different dialect. That's a different language. Amen. 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 Now, ancient Jewish wisdom says that the language was Hebrew. That's why the Hebrew was later called the holy tongue. The holy dialect. The holy tongue. That was it was later called the holy tongue. So ancient Jewish wisdom tells us that this language they spoke was Hebrew, which it only makes sense. Right? Because that's God's language, that's the language that you know, the original transcripts of the thing was written in and spoke. So, you know, again, um, so here's the thing. They didn't have a lot of individual possessions because there was no such thing as ownership because they were really uh, a tribe, so everything belonged to their tribe. Mm -hmm. So everybody didn't, it really wasn't, you know, didn't have a lot. So, you know, the tribe had a house, had houses. The tribe had the city. The tribe, you, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you got to get the mindset uh, of what going, was going on. And no doubt, because people are people are people are people, some of the people were discontented with that structure. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. Right. Why can't I have my own house? No. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so, again, keeping, keeping that thing in mind. Now, verse 2 in, in Genesis 11. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, okay? They journeyed from the east, they found this plain in Shinar, and they settled there. So this, this tells us now that they all, everyone on the earth had one language and one speech, but different dialects, right? Are you getting that? So they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. This tells us that Nimrod is a big part of what's happening because who's keeping this shit on? Nimrod. So they found Nimrod's kingdom and they decided, we're going to settle here. We're going we're gonna to dwell here. Even though, and so everybody again, everybody spoke the same language. So this confirms even more so that Nimrod is the one that's bringing the change. Nimrod's the one that's causing all of this uh, upheaval and this change in tradition. Uh, and so it speaks when it says they settled in Shinar. They dwelt there, or the word is translated in, 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 in settled there. Now, what, what you have to understand is that when it talks about, when it says that here, it's really... Um, saying that they embrace the existing lifestyle more than it is the geographical location. So it's more about that they dwelt or they settled for what was going on in Shinar, which was ran by who? Nimrod. But his name's not mentioned here. But it's all the way back in the beginning of chapter 10. He tells us. So it's there to let us know something. So right. when we see that, that they settled there, so it's not so much about a geographical location as it is as they embrace the idea uh -huh. uh, or the lifestyle. So, you know, uh, it, that name not being mentioned uh, shows us that it really isn't as much about a person but more about the idea. Yeah. Okay? That revolutionary idea that Nimrod was introducing, which was rebelling against God being the symbol of everything that was there. Uh-huh. Be careful. Pride comes before a fall. Mm -hmm. When God is not the center of every part of your life, right? Uh, he might, and he can, he can do things and work in your life, but if he's not central in every part of your life, be careful because you're putting someone else or something else right. above him. Because then God says, you get down, let me be up. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> One quick question. Yeah. So there were 70 nations right? in one community, different slang of tongue, if you will, but they were all under the leadership of Nimrod. 
They had, they had spread out in the earth, and now some of them journeyed from the east where they were living, and they now dwelt and settled in Nimrod's kingdom. Does that make sense? It's not necessarily about 70 genealogy nations came from Noah. Right. No. Right. This is not the seven nations. No, so they had spread out. They had spread out across the okay. earth. This and is so, part of the seven. So each, every, every group was like a tribe. You know what I'm saying? So, so, that. Shinar would have been a group. Shinar was a place. But, and so a group would have been. But Nimrod, that was his kingdom. So they came there. Different groups. So it's like, oh, we kind of like this. We can, we can, we can deal with that. We, we, can, we, can, we can live like that. So, you know, again, it's not a much, as much about the person as it is about uh, the, the idea or the concept. But he was the first person in biblical history that introduced the idea of getting rid of God to see how well they could build and make life. So, you're a Nimrod. You're a rebel. Right? You're a rebellion. Yeah. So, so... Nimrod now becomes a concept or an idea. It's not so much about the name. Um, it's not a good thing to be called a Nimrod. Okay? Uh, but he was the first person now in biblical history to introduce the idea of, you know what, we don't really need God. Let's, let's move him out of this so that we can build a society. Mm -hmm. So that tells us that the story of Babel is more about the idea than it is about the man named Nimrod. So this whole, this whole thing about uh, Babel, this whole idea, and this whole tall building, and this, this tower, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because I'm not going to get there tonight. Uh, because there's a Nimrod in every period of history in every place. There's a Nimrod somewhere. There's always that person. Right. Okay? In every era of history, in every place, there is always a Nimrod. Okay, because it is it is a concept, it is an idea, it is and it is an embracing of a lifestyle of rebellion, of making others subservient to you, making others, you know, uh, uh, preachers and teachers, biblical teachers that that make you feel like that that they're the next best thing to God. Mm -hmm. And that their answer is God's answer. And, 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 and if you don't do as they say and as they teach, then you're going to suffer consequences because they are God's connection. That's cultness. Okay? That's a very, that's a cultish mindset. It's demonic. Okay? And it, it, it's, it's rooted in pride. And also rebellion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a Nimrod in, in every period of history, in every place there is, even though that they're not named uh, and stuff. So, one final thing that I want to talk about uh, before we, we close this again, I, I don't want to get over into anymore because then we'll, we'll never be able to stop. <laughs> it's a little, it, gets, it gets more intense, it's interesting, I think. So, you know, it came to pass that they journeyed from the east. Why does it matter that it tells us that they journeyed from the east? Uh, what, what we might think would be important was that where they dwelt, right? They ended up settling in Shinar, which was Nimrod's kingdom, which meant that they had to live by Nimrod's rule, by Nimrod's idea, which we know what that was. So why, why does it tell us that they journeyed from the east? Well, there's another place in the book of Genesis that's where someone journeyed from the east, and that's in Genesis 13, um, verses 5 through 11, and that's where Lot separated from Adam, or Abraham, where Lot separated from Abraham. You remember uh, when, when the separation and, uh, and, and they separated, uh, the Bible tells us that Lot chose the valley of the Jordan and the city of Sodom, and it literally says he journeyed east. But in the Hebrew, it's translated, he journeyed from the east. So Lot journeyed from the east, and he chose the valley of the Jordan and the city of Sodom. So now, once again, mm -hmm. 
it's not about geography as much as it is a concept. Okay, it's not so much about, okay, from the east, east where? What was in the east? It's not so much about that geographical location as it is about a concept. What happens in the east? It's the place the sun rises. Okay, the sun rises in the east. Or we could say that's where the light comes from. Mm. It's the first thing that expels or pushes away the night. Okay? It's the first thing that light arrives there, and it's the first thing to banish the darkness of night. Okay? That comes, that, that, that comes in, in the east. That's what happens in the east. So we could say that east is a place where darkness, ignorance, primitiveness, mm. Okay? All of that is banished from a place of the source of light. Or the east is a place where one is in light. So they came from the east. Now put that thought together. They came from the place where they were enlightened. Lot came from light and went into what? Darkness because he chose sun. He chose, he chose the, the valley of the Jordan, okay? So, that place where darkness and night is banished, right? The first place that light arrives. Abraham recognized God, okay, in his choice. But Lot journeyed away from the light. Lot journeyed away from being enlightened. So, from the east in the Hebrew, means leaving the source of truth and godliness, or leaving the light. So they left the light, they left the place from where they were enlightened, they left the place where truth, I can say it like that, was evident, and they journeyed into Shinar, which is the place where what? Where Nimrod was now saying, this truth doesn't matter here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here, we don't embrace that truth. We don't need that light. We don't need the enlightenment here because I have a better idea. I have a better thought. Right? Yeah. Are you seeing that? It's important that you understand that as we get into the next verses, which we're not going to tonight. So now if you go back to Babel, they journeyed from the east, and it literally says that they abandoned the idea now that God was the center of everything. Mm-hmm. So now you know what? We don't have to consider God in everything that we do. He's not the center of everything. So now, now, Nimrod has got this Sorry for the pun. This is a bright idea. I just thought that was getting ready to say oh This dark he's, idea. He's, yeah. This, this deluded uh, vision now that somehow he's going to get the people higher than God. That God's not the ultimate high. But that I had a better idea. And now, these, these, these people, all speaking the same language, different dialects, some were hillbilly, some were English. Right? Come on. You, you know, I need a tomato, I need a tomato. Or a mater. A mater for us. Or So they abandon the very idea that God is the center of everything. So now, as we as we move into further into chapter eleven next week, we're going we're going to kind of look at who, who's hiding them, who's the one that's seducing them to these ideas. Nimrod, right? 
Nimrod is seducing them. Nimrod is somehow convincing them that this is a better way. How many of you, how many of you ever seen somebody go completely off track and think, how did that happen? Right. How did they get that far off when they knew the truth? Right. It happens. Yep. Okay? It happens. So that's why we got to keep pride under our feet. Pride is at the root of every sin. Everybody in this house struggles with pride yep. in some form or fashion. Okay? We all struggle with that. So, so we, we leave now that they can all communicate, cooperate, and collaborate because they all speak the same language. There's no reason why they can't all work together, right, and accomplish something. We're going to see how the enemy took advantage of that, okay, and how he took away. I'm trying not to go any further. <laughs> he took away your identity. Uh -huh. He took away what they knew of their uniqueness. <laughs> That God created them to be. Don't let anybody take that from you. Mm -hmm. Don't let the enemy steal the uniqueness that God gave you. Mm -hmm. It will work and bring unity to the body of Christ. All right, I'm stopping there. I'm going to stop there tonight. I'm going to Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Um, again, uh, yeah, shut that up. Please. Um,